Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Matt Harmon. I am once again... Excited to be joined by the great Dalton Del Don. Dalton, we're spending so much like digital time together, man. I feel like this has just been a huge boost in our relationship. How the hell are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. I feel lucky too. It's a good time to be on the pod with you because you've been knee deep and uh, buried in film. And I want to talk some reception perception with you. And I, I really want to leave the floor to you and talk a lot of wide receivers. Yeah, I'm excited about today's show too. I have. Uh, I was telling you just before we started recording, I've got you know, a few guys left to do. And, um, you know, it's mostly players. I'm not all that like, I don't think there's going to be any great revelations from the last few series of guys, but I know there's a lot of players that we're going to talk about, uh, today that I know will be on your mind, my mind, other people's mind out there. So that's pretty exciting. But before we jump into the wide receiver talk, uh, I do want to just hit on this, the one piece of news, because look, we're not going to get much news lately. And I don't even know if this counts as news but uh it is something that happened it's a thing that went down in the football universe uh we talked about a lot of nfc west running backs last week and the seahawks they love running backs they signed another one in former 49ers browns jaguars texans the list goes on you know his former teams carlos hyde uh chris carson still supposedly going to be the primary running back in 2020 per the seattle times but are we worried about anything going on here with Hyde coming into the mix? And frankly, he's coming off a good year last year. Yeah, Hyde played far better than I expected. And whether we think he's a good real-life player or not, uh, as a 49ers fan, I once thought you know he's going to be a star possibly, but uh, he couldn't stay healthy. And then he, a couple of the advanced metrics, a couple of the seasons, he's one of the worst. Um, but yeah, no, the, the fact is that he could be a, a problem here as far as volume. If you're a Chris Carson owner, there's no doubt you're not happy to see this signing. As someone who has a lot of shares of Miles Sanders, I was happy to see him not join yeah. the Eagles. So yeah, it's kind of a bummer. I lowered Carson a, a few spots. Just, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't think Hyde's even that exciting to grab as like a backup either. Just kind of waiting for even when Penny rejoins this backfield mid, uh, mid-season, it's really going to be a nightmare for fantasy owners. Yeah, that was my thought is that this probably has a lot to do more with uh, Rashad Penny and where he is. Uh, I know I was in a dynasty dr- startup draft recently and, you know, Penny's just slipping down and down and down the board. And it's it's crazy because he's a former first round pick, a guy that's actually flashed at different times of his career. But it seems yeah. like he's such at a, a fork, a crossroads. And I don't know how many like great outcomes can come out of this for him. But the thing that I, I do think Carlos Hyde was kind of legit good last year I I felt watching the Texans just he 
he looked much, much better. And I, I forgot the list. He was with the Chiefs last offseason uh, and was traded. And, like, no one gave that trade any positive reviews, anything like that. No one thought it really made a difference. And he ended up being a pretty good figure after Lamar Miller went down uh, for the Texans. So I, I think he's going to, you know, play pretty – like, I, I agree with you. If he had signed with the Eagles, I think that would have been really bad news for Miles Sanders. And then apparently the other fallout from this one is – is that the reason that they had to sign Carlos Hyde was that Devonta Freeman apparently is ready to skip the 2020 season if he doesn't get the contract that he likes. And apparently the contract that he got from the Seahawks, they made him an offer and he didn't like it. Well, my dude, Devonta, come, come back to us, man. Have you seen what's going on at the running back position right now? And you're going to try to hold out for this weird season uh, in June? I don't think so. Yeah, it seems almost like a forced retirement, if anything, because I'm not sure how many people are eager after last year's tape and, you know, the advanced metrics. So, uh, yeah, I guess some people will really worry about him. But honestly, I was more worried about Hyde. Like if I'm yeah, as a I Sanders agree. guy, I'm like, whatever, a Freeman at this point, maybe I'm wrong. But to me, it looks like one of those guys, just more name or a body than anyone that I'd be more concerned about. Uh, Hyde, after, as you said, last year, he flat out played competently or more than that. So he's a problem. Uh, to me, Freeman, uh, he's an afterthought. And I get, I'm guessing he's going to make it maybe seem like re retirement but it's almost like forced forcing his hand yeah that that's kind of how i feel too so uh we can move on from these uh vagabond running backs uh and discussing them and let's get to kind of the meat of what we're going to talk about today which is wide receivers uh you mentioned it off the top i don't know if i'm going to like answer my own question here uh but i do do a thing called reception perception uh and i have been as you said buried uh, I call it uh, right about this time of year because the deadline for the project that I put out with the fantasy footballers uh, is June 1st. So I usually call these last couple of weeks of May route prison um, when I – well, this is – it's perfect this year because I normally don't see anybody. I don't go out anywhere. Right. <laughs> uh, and not, now I don't do that anyway. So uh, I'm looking forward to the end of route prison, but I'm very much looking forward to talking some of these guys with you today. Yeah, so talk the methodology. How many years have you been doing this? And um, are any standouts? Well, first, yeah, talk methodology first. Yeah, so big picture view, reception perception. The big thing, the big goal of reception perception when I first started out, not only was it to have something that kind of stood out in the industry, it was the question I wanted to see answered that I didn't think was answered anywhere else, which is, look, wide receiver is the most dependent, I think, the most dependent position on other positions in order to accrue production. You know, think about everything that has to go right for the wide receiver to just record a catch and a yard. They have to trust that the quarterback's going to get it there on time, that the quarterback's going to throw an accurate pass. So much is dependent on the quarterback, but it's also dependent upon the offensive line, giving that quarterback time. It's also dependent on the play call. The only thing that the wide receiver can really control is do they run a good route and do they get separation? And so reception perception is the methodology that I developed to go in and study route running. And I've been doing it for six years now, uh, six NFL seasons. So from 2014 on, I have data for over 200 players at this point. I think it's over 60,000 routes I've logged <laughs> since wow, since that wow. 2014 season. So it's a, it's a lot of work, um, but I think the, look, I mean, it, it's my own piece of, uh, intellectual property or whatever, but I think it's the best way it's grueling, but I think it's the best way to evaluate wide receivers, which is to go in there and chart every single route they run over the sample of games chart, whether they get open versus man press zone uh, and on each individual route, give them a success rate based on how often they get open. And I think that's how we learn the most about the position. And I think that is the way that we, like I said to Scott, the goal is to isolate wide receiver performance from all the other factors around them. And I think 
it's proven over the last six years that if a player finishes you know, above certain thresholds, they're very likely to have success. And we can talk about some of those guys uh, here today. Yeah, so talk about what's easier to be in real life if you're against zone versus uh, man and press. And then also like the slot. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like 15 years ago, it was kind of an afterthought in fantasy. And now obviously it's like a position you want your player. That's, that's definitely changed in the last decade, right? Right, exactly. And I think it's, that is one of the biggest takeaways for me. And I, I say this a lot on on podcasts is that, you know, I've been doing this for six years now. There are things that I said based off reception perception data, you know, back in 2016 that I wouldn't change now. And that's just the nature of sample sizes. You know, if I was really doing this as uh, an academic study or something, for example, I would have, you know, charted five years worth of data before giving any analysis on it. But that's not really how we can't do that, right? Because like the audience wants a take. What's the point of it? I can't tell you like, oh, I've got this really cool route thing going, but talk to me in 2019. You know, that doesn't work like that. So I've learned a lot along the way. And one of the things that I've noticed is that the data is very, is it a lot of it's driven off where they line up pre-snap, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a big difference between what you should expect from an X receiver versus a flanker receiver versus a slot receiver. And for people that don't know, the X receiver is that typical number one receiver lined up a lot of times in press coverage against a cornerback across from them. And then the flanker, you're able to move around pre-snap because when you look at them lined up, they're away from the line of scrimmage. And then, of course, the slot receiver. Everybody knows what a slot receiver is at this point. A lot of these guys, you'll see how often they face press coverage is dependent, again, where they line up. And then so I, I think when you see a guy who let's take, for example, Juju Smith-Schuster or a guy like Cooper Cup, these players typically perform very poorly against press and man coverage in reception perception. But do we really care that much? Because more often than not, they're going to be facing some of the highest amounts of zone coverage in the league. And these guys are very good at beating zone coverage. I mean, I think from a real football perspective, you could argue and I would argue that the player that beats press man at a routine uh, at a routine rate is more valuable than that interior guy that sifts through his own coverage. Cause you just look at the league wide success rates. There's all, and I'm kind of getting in the weeds here and, and just, you know, f- someone roll me back if, if I am, but I mean, this league wide success rate versus zone coverage is almost 10% higher than the league wide success rate versus press. And it's even more drastic when you look at it from man coverage. So my point in all that is saying that I think that, it's an easier skill, quote unquote, to beat zone coverage over the middle of the field. But you, you have seen teams use these super, you know, sized slot receivers like Cup and Juju, and I think you get more value out of that position that way. And charting all this, does it make you think uh, how difficult and how silly is it? Like people like me trying to write a weekly matchups column based on <laughs> cornerback matchups. Is it is like is it? Are there some that still shadow, or how ridiculous is it trying to project? you know, DFS on a given week, who really is going to guard whom? It's really difficult. Um, I mean, we know that there are a handful of big time shadow cornerbacks who do follow guys across the field and, you know, but that's very rare because again, and I would, I would say it's less about the projecting matchups and things that I think is just so futile, but and I, I just think it's almost crazy that we're out here trying to compare, you know, players that play that slot receiver position to guys that play outside. And I know that some people will say that this is me just trying to, you know, excuse uh, 
excuse a bad take from last year, but I think the perfect example is what happened in Carolina with Curtis Samuel and DJ Moore. You know, you will constantly get people who say and that DJ Moore, uh, you know, look, if DJ Moore can produce in that situation, why couldn't Curtis Samuel? But it's almost crazy to say that because they're such different players. And, you know, Moore is not, he was actually much better last year in terms of playing on the outside, beating press coverage, beating man coverage. He did improve a little bit. But, you know, his primary routes are the slant and the dig. You know, both of those are in-breaking. They're, they're routes with pretty high success rates. I would just posit the theory that a bad quarterback like Kyle Allen loves to throw to a player like this because they're all, all routinely open on those easy layup routes. And that's why I liked DJ Moore going to Carolina because I thought they needed that player. However, then you look at Samuel, a guy who's going to face a lot of press coverage, going to face a lot of man coverage on the outside and is running all of these deep routes with a guy that can't throw the ball past 10 yards, you know, down the field. So I think that's just one thing that I think that's almost a crazier thing is like trying to look at production as a means of what's actually going on in the field. Cause it honestly charting all these routes, it just, it just tells, you know, zero per, almost like 5% of the story or something. Well, yeah, it's tough. Cause even if you're perfect, infallible yourself, identifying who is the best skilled, the route runner and receiver in football, then we're still relying on the system moving forward and how he's going to be treated. So are you looking at yards per route run and seeing if it matches your eyes? Are you looking at air yards? What are like the stats or, or if any, do you pay closest attention to? I'm, I was curious. Well, in terms of like talent measuring, I'll almost ignore any per target stat because Again, the point of reception perception is to show that what's happening on just the routes that they get targeted even tells a small right. percentage of the story. You know, a receiver might right. run, you know, X amount of routes on the entire season, but only get targeted. Like, think, think about it. Like a player plays like 50 to 60 snaps per game. Getting 10 targets is is a high amount. So there's just all these other plays that are happening where they can be doing good things or bad bad things honestly and hurting or helping the value of the offense so per target stats I almost completely throw out but I think I do like per route stats better because again it is trying to tell that full picture right interesting all right well did anyone jump out any standout surprises any anyone particular yes Uh, my my biggest takeaway this year in reception perception is I'm so excited about this 2019 wide receiver class you know the guys that were rookies last year I think this is the which is surprising, right, Dalton? Because I think everybody's hyped up on the 2020 class. There was a lot of buzz about this being the best class since 2014. And I thought that the 2018 class and the 2019 class kind of got, you know, no one was really that excited about them. But I'm telling you, after after looking at the at the at these guys, like Terry McLaurin, Deontay Johnson, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, Marquise Brown, uh, even Debo Samuel in a very, very different role. Those those guys all I'm extremely confident will be high quality starter to star level players. And I think that like that group there is one of the reasons like we I think we talked about this last week, why I'm so kind of drawn to the idea of just hammering running back early and then trying to pluck off some of these breakout guys in, you know, rounds four to eight or whatever, wherever they may end up falling, because I think all of these guys I'm so confident in. Yeah, for sure. AJ Brown looks like a star. DK Metcalf, wait till he learns how to run routes. Um, Hardman is a sophomore too, and Deontay yeah. Johnson are they sophomores too? Yep, yep. I uh, haven't looked well. at Hardman yet because he's outside of the group that I'm contracted to look at. But I think that 
he's one of the guys I'm really excited about. But Johnson. Uh, yeah, someone asked you about him. Crazy high separation rate, open percentage. And I noticed, I know you don't care about rankings, your rankings, so I won't ask you much, but you were kind of lower yeah. on Juju, and I'm curious about him. So what are your thoughts? Obviously, throw away the quarterback situation last year, but people are hyping. Dante Johnson, I'm buying it. I have him ranked very aggressively. So your thoughts? Oh, yeah. I'm I'm okay. I'm Good. buying on Deontay Johnson. And I, w- I thought he was probably the guy that I would say, you know, I knew that, I mean, we know that Terry McLaurin is good. I I was really high on Marquise Brown and A.J. Brown as prospects, and I think D.K. Metcalf was really awesome last year, too. Johnson was a guy that wasn't really on my radar as much, but I kept getting people telling me going into, like, before trying, like, this is a guy you're really going to like. And usually when people say that, I'm a a little skeptical. Um, So I'm usually my, 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 like, radar is is ready to be disappointed but johnson is probably my biggest riser after charting uh because it was just amazing to see how much easy separation he got this is a guy who finished in reception perception at the 88th percentile in terms of success rate versus man coverage and the 81st against press and i mentioned this earlier but just it's worth teasing this point out that over the last since 2014 over the last six nfl seasons of charting players if you finish above the 85th percentile in success rate versus man coverage, you're extremely likely to have a 1,000-yard season at some point in your career. So, for example, the only two guys – or the, excuse me, the only, only three guys right now in the history of reception perception have played more than one season and finished above that 85th percentile and never had a 1,000-yard season at some point. Those three players are Calvin Ridley, the aforementioned Curtis Samuel and Sterling Shepard. And I think with Shepard and Ridley, a lot of it is health related uh, questions. And I think for Samuel and Shepard too, I think those are quarterback questions as well. Ridley might double that if Julio goes down this year. I'm all, I'm all oh, about yeah. him. Uh, I mean, yeah, that that's, he's one guy that I think will smash that. Like yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll be, he probably could have done it last year had he not gotten hurt. Uh, so yeah. I, like he's, he's, I think that just lends more credence to the point that, like, yeah, if you finish over that 85th percentile. So Dante Johnson did that, you're saying, and now he's a young and better quarterback situations. So he could just go crazy. I Yeah, that's my thought. You know, I, we mentioned Juju earlier. I wrote a whole column on the Steelers and why I think this is a, a an offense that is so interesting because if Ben Roethlisberger is even, let's just say, like, you know, he's not his peak form, but he's like a top 12 quarterback. He's something close to his peak form there's so much exciting young talent here. And my only thought with a player like Juju is just that, again, super productive and I'm willing to, you know, excuse uh, the poor production from last year because he was injured and he also was playing with those same horrible, I mean, hideous quarterbacks uh, that that Johnson was playing with last year too. Uh, The only thing, my only takeaway with a player like Juju is like, I I think some of the, the stats that he put up in his first two seasons and some of the efficiency metrics, whatever, is a lot. It definitely had stuff to do with the fact that the offense was running at such a peak uh, efficiency point because they had a Hall of Fame quarterback and one of the best wide receivers to ever play. I just don't know that you can run a healthy NFL offense through a receiver like this. And I think we've seen, I compared it to Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry, I think it wouldn't be, it wouldn't surprise me at all if for the rest of Juju's career, he's a Jarvis Landry type player, which I don't think Landry is a bad player, but you look at the offenses that when they ran through Landry in Miami, those were all bad offenses. Even last year, I think Landry had his best season. That was still a very dysfunctional offense. I think in order for a Landry or a Juju type player to hit their peak outcomes, I think you need 
an outside wide receiver to emerge in order to dictate coverages in order to win at all levels of the route tree. And I, that's the great thing in Pittsburgh is that not only is Johnson my favorite candidate to do it, but they also have James Washington. They added Chase Claypool this year. They're pretty well stocked in terms of that wide receiver position. I mean, even Ebron's a season remove from catching 12 touchdowns. Right? I know everyone makes fun of him, but he's there now. Uh, so would you rather Dante Johnson than Juju in Dynasty then? I mean, forget cost. It sounds like you, his ceiling's higher. Yeah, I mean, I think his ceiling is higher. It's the same, it's the same argument that I would make about a player – like Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs when they were together. Uh, I always would rather have the guy with the higher ceiling yeah. from a theoretical perspective, uh, which is the outside number one wide receiver. Uh, and I think gotcha. Diggs was that yeah. guy there and Brown was that guy when Juju was here. And, you know, I, I thought I had the same lot. like, you could, you could also just, you know, throw this right back in my face is that I had the same logic with the Carolina guys last year. And that if Cam Newton was healthy, I thought Samuel would have a breakout season and Moore would have a breakout season. And I think if Roethlisberger is healthy, I think Johnson can have that breakout season and Juju can still be very productive, if not ever going to reach that statistical ceiling that he showed in his second NFL season. Yeah, usually I want the only guy in town. That's why I ranked Juju aggressively last year. But I agree with you. He's one of those guys that just because of the the way he runs the route, um, it might be the way he lines up and whatnot. Antonio Brown clearly helped him, no question about it. Yeah. And I want all the big big Ben, man. Uh, his his yeah. advanced stats were fine before he went down. He says his arm feels healthier than ever. Look at those weapons. What if none of the running backs emerge? Um, he's going later, too. Um, next, I want to ask about you. You brought him up, Stephon Diggs. I know he's one of your favorites. Uh, best route runner in football, arguably. And now my guy, local, uh, not too far from Fireball, California, Josh Allen. It is really bad, the advanced stats with him downfield. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have John Brown, who's pretty good himself, and Diggs monopolizing the bad, uh, inaccurate targets uh, outdoors there in a, in a running team. So I have them very low, those receivers. So as much as Diggs is a great real-life player, uh, talk me out of ranking him so low. I, I don't know that I can talk, talk you out of ranking him so low. I mean, he is, he is the best route runner in the NFL uh, to me, and I think – John Brown was a guy that reception perceptions always been high on, you know, he's one of those players that always finishes above the 90th percentile in success rate versus man coverage. And we've seen when he's healthy, like last year, he even overcame that, you know, bad quarterback to be more of a full field player. I, I love John Brown. I love Stefan Diggs. I think the bills might have the best pair of separators in the NFL. Uh, but it's just so, what are we going to get from Josh Allen? And I would argue that from like a fantasy perspective and there, especially from a dynasty perspective, the move was probably more of like a net neutral than a total killer to his value. Because I mean, Diggs was already sort of volatile last year in that offense, you know, didn't get a ton of volume. Um, and like, it's a run heavy team. He has to play with another really good wide receiver in John Brown. Those are two things that he did last year. And there is a, let's just say quarterback question but the question with the quarterback could not be any more different than it was with Kirk Cousins last year. Yeah, you're probably right. But I'm even more further down. I mean, Cousins was a star in the advanced stats and Allen's like so ugly. If he couldn't run, he shouldn't even be in the league. I mean, it's, it's just extremely <laughs> bad. So and again, outdoors and a whole new system. It's so tough changing systems wide receivers to for first year. So, um, yeah, again, I, I'm lower, though. I mean, I hear what you're saying. Like the market itself is lowering him to begin with. 
But um, I've taken that even a step further. But he's a real great real-life player, but I don't know if he can overcome his situation, especially year one. Um, another guy I'm more down on because of the quarterback situation. People let me hear it. And speaking of really poor uh, completion over uh, expected uh, percentage, <laughs> Chris Godwin. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm the low man on the totem pole there with him. And I, not only do I think the quarterback's going to be a problem, I just don't see why everyone's just automatically checking him in as the number six receiver. And the whole industry is, don't get me wrong, if not room for hire because he has Brady now. Um, When the reality is he's sharing targets with Evans and Gronkowski and OJ Howard. That just seems like weird to me. Last year, everyone was like, can they have two top 10 guys and everyone like Evans? But I don't know. Godwin's a superstar in the making. Don't get me wrong. I understand he looks like an absolute monster. I'm I'm more worried about Brady though. So so tell me why I'm wrong here. I think that if, there's one like Evans is a guy I probably won't draft at all this year because I think he is he's someone who gets those type of targets, you know, downfield in contested situations. I, I don't know that Tom Brady's throwing those at this point of his career anymore. Uh, Godwin, like you said, he was legit awesome. He's always been awesome. Back when I used to chart college prospects for reception perception, he was awesome then. Uh, he posted an 88th percentile success rate versus man coverage score. He, you know, like you said, legit a beast. Um, I think that the reason that I'm still high on Godwin this year is because of his best type of routes in this system, which again, are those in breaking interior routes. I think he'll just eat up targets on those, even if they're not the most efficient targets, but I I hear you that I, it's hard to imagine this bucks offense with Tom Brady at this intersection of his career. Um, especially we, I feel like we keep having to say this with this version of the bucks team, in this, you know, we don't know what the off season is going to look like. It's hard to imagine the, all of these guys hitting their statistical ceilings. And oh, by the way, if like they do, if Evans hits his ceiling, if Godwin hits his and Gronk hits his, then we're probably looking at like a top six, top five Brady season. Oh, yeah. That's hard to imagine at this point. Right. No, for sure. Um, couple things uh so pff uh graded uh, i believe that they just came out their wide receiver rankings and they graded the the bucks as the best receiving group in the nfl hard to argue there although in fairness last year their number one were the eagles they were higher on the rookie uh arcia and uh, of course the tight ends but that didn't age well they were literally number one i remember the time it seemed odd and it certainly didn't go well so uh i can't really argue with you there i mean they're monsters i mean his weapons are monsters right i mean so godwin is as good as the numbers is what you're saying the film if not is, is as impressive as what you're saying all right Okay. Yeah. Well, funny note on the Eagles too. Like I mentioned, uh, and I know I tweeted this too and got a ton of sad Eagles fans. Uh, like when I mentioned that I'm so high on AJ Brown, DK Metcalf, uh, Deontay Johnson, Marquise Brown, uh, uh, all these other guys from that Terry McLaurin. Eagles fans just got to be kicking themselves that it looked like it looks like they got the one bad apple out of. And you know, a lot can change. It's only one year, but. They're all so collectively now disappointed by J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, you know, when when they, all of these other guys look like they're about to have these massive breakout second seasons. Sure. All I'll say on the subject, and we'll move on, is Chris Godwin wasn't even top 30 in Whopper last year. That's Hermsmeyer's uh, air yards and target share metric. Now as a 43-year-old quarterback who was the worst QB in the league in the second half last year, switching teams, throwing to him, sharing the field with Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski and O.J. Howard. But... And now he's the number six fantasy wide receiver. Seems like bizarro world to me. But yeah. Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup, so what's your situation? What's the situation, man? Is, can he succeed now with more half 12 personnel, half 11? Will he not be in the slot as much? And will he not be facing that zone? He may be fantastic in the zone and uh, usually a star in the yards per route run. But he's going to be asked to be doing some different things this year. 
yeah, Cooper Cup is a tough one for me this year because over the course of reception perception history, no wide receiver ran against zone coverage at a higher rate than Cooper Cup in 2018 and 2019. He faced zone coverage on 69% of his routes last year and was pressed on fewer than 10%. That's I'm, I'm like, that's super. Wow. I know that's not a lot of context there, but that is super rare. You just don't see. I mean, you see, you'll see Cooper Cup actually like give an incoming pass rusher, rusher like a chip before going out on a flat route when no one's covering him or a slant route. Like, no one is around him. He's just wide open in that zone. You just don't see a lot of receivers doing stuff like that. And it's just really hard to say like you mentioned is it is that going to be the case again this year if they are moving to more of that 12 personnel offense like we saw his playing time kind of start to fall off a cliff still decently productive or whatever but I really worry a lot about him playing outside more if that's what's going to happen because he's never finished above the 12th percentile in success in success rate versus man or press coverage at any point in his career so he's a guy that I'm okay. I I like Robert Woods a lot more this year. I know yeah. that the the market still has Cup. I think going higher in terms of like ADP, it might be pretty close. But I'm a little nervous about Cup. I think I think he's I think he's too valuable to this offense to really alter his role too much. I think Goff likes throwing to him so much that I don't think he's just going to suddenly disappear. That doesn't really happen. But I'm definitely worried about any sort of statistical ceiling out of him this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I have I have Woods higher as well. I, I like the Rams receivers though this year, just losing Gurley in the running game, a question mark, and that defense uh, going down. And the, that division, I really think, are going to be some shootouts. Even with Goff, a bad, a real-life player, I think the fantasy stats going to be there. Okay, another guy I'm down on and ask you, and tell me why I'm wrong, is, is Odell Beckham. I promise this is the last nerd stat I bring up. Hermsmeyer also has one called Racer. It's basically receiving yards minus air yards. And he was last in the NFL among receivers at 120 targets last year. But he was he playing hurt all year. Uh, maybe he was just playing with the, you know, the, the, the messed up core, as they call the hernia now. Um, and maybe it's as simple as that. Mayfield can't be as worse as he was last year, right? And all those air yards could be seen as a good thing, volume moving forward. So, uh, yeah, talk up, talk up Beckham. He was the first player that I charted this year because he was the player I was, most oh, cu- I was most curious about. Because coming into 2019, Beckham, I viewed him as like a legendary so talent. Fun. It, and he's one of the most – I think he, he's like the most storied receiver in reception perception history because, again, I've been tracking since 2014. So that class I have every single season that these guys have done. And Beckham never finished below the 98th percentile in success rate versus press coverage in any sampled season. He's best receiver, I thought, off the line of scrimmage. And he owned two of the top three success rate versus man coverage seasons. So, I mean, this guy could get – I mean, I think not only is he such a freak athlete – the way he's so flexible and everything like that. He's also an incredible technician works really hard at mastering those routes, but because there, there's a, but here, obviously uh, in 2019, uh, he, uh, he, his success rate versus man coverage score represented a near 10% drop point. Uh, he fell below the 45th percentile in success rate versus press. That's an unbelievable fall. And the only time I've ever seen someone fall like that in reception perception is if if they're about to be over the hill. For example, Des Bryant, a great example. Uh, he used to be extremely good in these metrics, and then his his 2017 season was horrible. It wasn't Beckham's wasn't quite as bad as Des Des's last season was. So my only conclusion coming off that season is Beckham had to be playing hurt, 
but now and and I so I think it's easy to like okay let's explain that away but I think the question there is this has been a, a player with a, a series a history of lower body injuries uh this was just yet another one it is are, are we ever going to see prime Odell Beckham again right. maybe not but I think I think he's still a value this year simply because there's almost no way I think he could be that bad again next year. There's been some speculation even playing through that could have caused permanent damage, but I, I don't think yeah. that is the case. So what, what I will say, though, wasn't Des Bryant not super old, too, when he dropped off? Yeah, he was. I think he was right around 29 or something. Yeah, okay, interesting. All right, well, I'm glad to, well, I don't know, I'm glad to hear that, but interesting to hear that because I've been down on him. So that is, but it could have very easily just been those circumstances that we said, and it's all better now with the new coaching staff and all that. But it, interesting. The one thing hear. I would say about the difference like between Dez and Beckham here is Dez was, you know, he was great in reception perception metrics because he was a freak athlete and they didn't ask him to do very much. You know, right. DK Metcalf, like he and he and Dez profile really, really similarly in reception perception. Small handful of routes, but awesome in terms of winning on all of these routes because they're they're freak shows, right? Uh, I think Metcalf actually has potential to be a better technician than Dez, but that's a, right. a separate question. But Dez was never that great technician, and so when the physical skills fell away, everything else fell with it. I think Beckham even if he's compromised physically, like we're talking about him being compromised physically, he still had a thousand yards last year. Right. You know, like I think he still is good enough technically to not fall below the 10th percentile, which is what happened to Des. Like, I mean, he went from the bottom, right. like the top all the way to the bottom. Yeah. I don't think he's going to fall off like that. You're right. And in such good hands and whatnot. He, he's, he's, he's the man, but I just worry about not only that, the continued uh, injuries and decline, but also I'm, I'm a little bit more worried about Mayfield than others. But I want to stick with these physically gifted guys, just learning how to run routes. AJ Brown, the workout metrics, I don't think he's off the charts, like his 40 time, but he certainly looks like a monster. And I know that the, some college guys are really high on him coming out rightfully. So um, a lot of play action in Tennessee. Um, I'm also curious how much the quarterback play influences, or you come away, you know, you're also grading quarterbacks in the back of your mind but what are your thoughts on aj brown specifically you, you mentioned that group of you know last year the, the sophomores yeah so i think the biggest takeaway f- from aj brown's reception perception was i liked him a lot coming out of college uh everybody really liked him a lot it, it seemed like he was a player everyone was pretty universally high on but a lot of a lot of people you know compared him to like a juju smith schuster you know a big slot type coming out of college but that was not how he operated at, at all as a rookie you know through his reception perception sample you consistently see him lining up as an x receiver and defeating press coverage press and man coverage routinely uh he played outside on 88 percent of the snaps that i charted for reception perception uh faced press coverage on 31 percent of his routes that's a very high figure i mean that's the profile of a true number one receiver and all the while he's another one of these players that finished above the 85th percentile in terms of success rate versus man coverage so i i think i'm not like putting any limits on the ceiling that this player can climb because that's not even to mention you know what just what a badass he plays like and uh, what an awesome yak player he is as well. I know he's extremely good in all of those metrics. So, I, I, again, I think that this is a guy that I'm not willing to put a ceiling on. He's going to be expensive this year, but I think he's probably going to be worth it, especially because not only is he in a situation where I think he's the he is the man, you know, he's he's going to command a lion's share of those targets. I think he also deserves that because he's that good. Music to my ears, Harmon. I have him as a top 10 guy, and that's even someone who has Derrick Henry really high, too. So, uh, yeah, I'm a believer in that offense. I'm not expecting the same regression as most. Um, okay, 
Amari Cooper, Dallas. He's so good in the slot, but CeeDee Lamb might be there. Um, it's a great problem to have, man. I'm The more I think about it, the more it was such a, an easy decision for Dallas. Who cares? They have two good wide receivers. I'm a Gallup guy even. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on the Cowboys situation other than, you know, the potential? They, this team led the NFL in yards per play last year and then added CeeDee Lamb. Pretty, I know. It could be sick. insane. And I love I love CD Lamb as a player too. I mean, it's not like a hot take, but uh, I definitely I compared him to Hopkins coming out. I know a few other people did as well. Um, I think he's pretty underrated as a separator and as a route runner, and also has that great yak ability and can put some absolute highlight real catches up. Uh, Cooper, I think, is often regarded as one of the best route runners in the NFL, but I think he's kind of overrated in that uh, in that sense. Home road splits are so bizarre. Probably mean nothing, but check out his home road splits. It's like the last three years, he's averaging like 38 yards on the road. It's super weird. Anyway, continue. I mean, anybody that's had him in fantasy knows that he's an inconsistent producer. And I think that that reputation follows him onto his film as well. Uh, He was coming into the NFL was super refined coming out of Alabama as a technician and as a route runner. But I don't think he's gotten better. And in fact, his success rate versus man coverage has fallen every season of his career. Like you mentioned, Dallas does offset that because they, unlike the early uh, Oakland coaching staffs that he played with, and I'll give credit to John Gruden because he started to do this with Amari Cooper before he traded him midway through his first season there. Those old Oakland coaching staffs would just line Cooper up at X receiver. And like I've mentioned with throughout the podcast, there are a lot of the, like when you line up in that position, you're going to face a lot of number one corners. You're going to face a lot of tight coverage and a lot of press and a lot of man. And Cooper's just not very good in that role. So I think Dallas has done a good job to offset that by moving him around before the snap, by getting him into favorable matchups. Gallup on the other hand, is that guy in this offense who plays the X receiver position. And I think he's, He's one of the most underrated players in the NFL because I get it. Like they just added this first round rookie receiver, but in a year where we're not going to get a ton of offseason practice time, we, we keep saying that. I think Gallup could end up being a huge value because not only does he play, in my opinion, the most difficult position in this Dallas offense, he was awesome in it last year. I mean, 1,100 yards in 14 games, the stats prove it. And I think the, the film proves it too. He's a guy who had a great success rate versus man coverage score. He was really good on deep routes and in the contested catch game. So I, I, I'm really high on this receiver core and this entire offense. Yeah, and over the last two years, Gallup is like, Dak has just missed him on like a handful of deep yes. uh, touchdowns as well, too. Yeah, that's going to be a fun team to watch. Not as a Niners fan, they're terrifying. CeeDee Lamb could be a monster. So that, uh, yeah, that team's going to put up a lot of points. All right, so I uh, wrote a column about, uh, that just came out about Nick Foles. Uh, I promise I wouldn't talk too advanced stats, but he's interesting, man. He, he had like the best, his TD to INT ratio, that 27 to 2, was the best ever. He also had the best... Uh, uh a a y a that year too and the third best mm-hmm. passer rating then the 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 advanced stats a couple years the worst in the league the more recent ones really really sneakily good um including the, the small sample last year what are your thoughts on Allen robinson you can talk a little anthony miller too but you probably i'm sure you watch more uh a rob i mean i have him as a i moved him all the way to my number six after the big five so you know he's replacing godwin on most people's board for me um he's just been a monster this is Foles is going to be his best quarterback he's played with uh i know the the injuries whatever in the past but second year in the league he had 1400 yards nfl high 14 touchdowns with blake bortles throwing to him and i'm telling you uh the, i get a little bit more in depth but but Foles is really interesting numbers digging deeper so thoughts on a Rob? yeah I, I will talk about anthony miller too because after deontay johnson 
he's my favorite, my second favorite breakout oh, nice. guy. And I oh, think wow. the guy, like he could be the player that, you know, we're all talking about Marquise Brown, uh, Deontay Johnson as these breakout guys. And I'm high on those players too, but I'm really, we'll get, well, we'll get to Anthony Miller in a second, but talking on Allen Robinson, um, Longtime readers of Reception Perception know that the series is very high on Allen Robinson. One of the first, uh, like I, I, I'm th- thankful too that uh, Robinson and I have a little bit of a relationship now. At this point, too, I've gotten the chance to thank him for validating all of my work. Probably would not be sitting here talking to you, Dalton, having a career if uh, he didn't have that big season in 2015. But another, another story. But I mean, I know 2000- you like him. I was teeing you up, so I know you like him. Well, I mean, here's the here's the great thing is like I've liked him all this time. But 2019 was kind of his masterpiece. Like, yeah, of course, cool. He caught wow. 98 passes in a Mitchell Trubisky led offense, but. Reception perception would show you that he was literally elite. He checked in with a 79% success rate versus man coverage. That's a 98th percentile score. Checked in at the 97th percentile in success rate versus press coverage. Those are both individually top 10 scores in those two metrics in reception perception history. I, I think, and then that, that's not even to say what he does as a 50-50 ball guy, you know, contested catch receiver. I think last year was the year that if you really watch was his he was ticketed to join the NFL's pantheon of dominant elite number one wide receivers. And yeah, I'm not crazy about Nick Foles because I think he is a very ecosystem dependent quarterback. And I'm, I'm still like, not quite sure how, like how I feel about this. P- possible, but Kelly's offenses were garbage the following three True. years. Just saying, I know he probably took everyone by surprise that first year, probably, but just saying. They were like all 24 or worse DVOA's offenses the final three years. But go ahead, sorry. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that he's not a guy that's going to ever elevate a situation. But Probably not. this situation might be might be good enough, right? Because I don't think it's as good of an ecosystem as the Eagles offenses that he crushed it in with Chip Kelly or the Eagles offense that he took on a Super Bowl run. I think those were great ecosystems. But... And I think this is where we can talk about Anthony Miller. I still like Matt Nagy as a play caller. I still, I think he's, I think he gets himself on tilt sometimes because he's dealing with such a, a clown show and Mitchell Trubisky back there. And I think that like puts his brain in a knot. But I loved the Kansas City version of the offense that Nagy ran at the end of that year when he took over as a play caller. I still think the Chicago Bears do some pretty smart things. And look, if they have an elite number one wide receiver and Anthony Miller is going to be a breakout player, I mean, damn, that's a lot more than he had when Nick Foles was terrible with the St. Louis Rams and terrible last year with the Jaguars. Robinson ranked third in Whopper, just DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas ahead of him. That's a volume-based thing. And now we're talking, and you're saying he's a real-life good player who's now going to see a situation improve too. So it's like, you know, Leonard Fournette, they like the volume, but he's no good real-life. A-Rob is, and now hopefully his situation will improve and hopefully the volume remains. But he might see a slight tick uh, decrease in volume because you love Anthony Miller. Let's hear more about him. Yeah, so I, I'm not really worried about Robinson's targets in this yeah, situation. Yeah, who else? Yeah, you know what exactly. about the nine tight ends that they are all garbage? <laughs> I mean, Jimmy Graham, yeah. it's hilarious watching him try to block these days. So. Oh, I mean, it's hilarious watching Jimmy Graham try to do anything. Mm-hmm. I, I've probably, like, took t- taken way too many shots at Jimmy Graham, who could probably, you know, beat me up in five seconds. Uh, maybe just two. I don't know. Hard to say. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, yeah. He, he get, throwing, I used to say at the end of last year that – you know, Rogers throwing uh, passes to Jimmy Graham, like you'd be better off just throwing it into a, like a black hole. Forget about it. Nothing good is going to happen. And yeah, the Bears paid him $16 million. That was pretty funny. Uh, so, but, and there's also no other wide receivers ready to emerge on this offense either. And Ted Ginn's going to be their number three. I think Miller 
is the perfect complement to Robinson. I've compared him since back in his college reception perception days to Doug Baldwin. I think he's that guy who lines up in the slot but can roast press coverage, can roast man coverage, and wins on vertical routes. I think that's what's really exciting about Anthony Miller. So just some reception perception notes on him. 83rd percentile success rate versus man coverage, 91st against press, uh, and obviously was very good against zone coverage as well, which is mostly what he's going to see as an interior receiver. But the the cool part about him is he's clears the NFL average on every single route except one and sports a 75% contested catch rate. I mean, this is, I, I think everything is there for him to be that breakout player. He just hasn't really been healthy over his first yeah, two that- seasons. So if he's healthy here in 2020, there's the path to targets. The guy's good. And he was even productive towards the end of last year for a decent spurt as well. So I think he's a breakout guy that could go overlooked with all these other hyped up sophomores like Deontay Johnson. I'm going to be yapping about him as soon as reception perception comes out on June 1st for the rest of the off season. You know, he'll get really expensive. I think Marquise Brown is, you know, another guy that I love to break out this year too. Miller is probably going to be the overlooked one and therefore a guy that I think you should draft late every single time. Love to hear it. Grabbed him in a couple leagues already. Um, it's frustrating. I believe he hurt that shoulder. Another surgery was required. He hurt it in like that meaningless uh, week 17 game. Um, yeah, I know he looks like, oh, the thing with Nick Foles too. Remember, I like people like me like Didi uh, Westbrook yep, last yep. year because Foles is that career target rate uh, to the slot all the time. Didn't work last year, but assuming he still likes throwing to the slot, that should benefit Miller as well. All right, feel free to make this uh, you know the, a quick uh, quick round here, but I'm going to ask you a few other situations because uh, people are curious. Texans, what are they going to do? I mean, Deshaun Watson's there. No oh, Hopkins. <laughs> what are we going to make of it? I mean, do you have any answers for us here? I, I think you can take Will Fuller if you are excited about the fact that he'll, he'll be good until he gets hurt. I, I want to see what happens here with this wide receiver core because I really like Kenny Stills as a player. I really like Will Fuller as a player. Um, Brandon Cooks, I'm not all that high. I'm probably just honestly not drafting any Texans receivers, to be honest with you. Yeah, I'll probably uh, – I always a sucker for Fuller, but he'll get hurt. Um, yeah, exactly. yeah. I would, yeah, 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 for sure. That's, that's the thing, right, is – He'll be great until he gets hurt. And uh, I hope he's one of these players that's injury prone until he's not. But we'll see. What about the Chiefs? Are they in general harder to to chart? Like or, or like when Rodgers, the guys that break out, you know, the, the, the Tyreek Hill, are they running routes half the time, the deep ones? Is that does that not matter at all? That's just a small percentage. The freelancing QBs. I mean, is that a difference? Yeah. So I actually take account for that. So for a player like Tyler Lockett's a good example. And Doug Baldwin oh, back in right. his prime, you know, because Russell Wilson goes on the improv mode so much. I think that actually really you can. So there's a route group that I have that's just other, and you can bucket a ton of things in there. But well, not there. Like it doesn't account for a high percentage of the players' routes that they run it over the course of the season. Is the answer really there? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like there's a there's a quantifiable way to look at that. Like I think Lockett and Baldwin have both performed really well in that category because they've eventually found their way to being on the same page with um with. Russell Wilson in that way. But for a lot of guys like Tyree kill, most of his routes are pretty traditional routes. Gotcha. Interesting. All right, man. Good stuff. I learned a lot. It was interesting. Um, I want to circle back when you, if you do check out the Raiders, I'm curious what happens there. I've been kind of, kind of in on Renfro, but a real interesting situation. There. I actually um, looked at Renfro cause uh, he surprisingly, he made it onto their top 50 list. So I, I looked at him and okay. I mean, kind of, kind of like, what do you expect? Because, it's tough with all of these other guys that they have there now. Like Rugs, I think, is going to be good. 
Um, Edwards, I think, is really interesting. Their other rookie wide receiver. But and then there's still Tyrell Williams, who I think is an underrated player, too. But Renfro is just like, I mean, he's the perfect slot receiver for today's NFL. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised with how much I actually enjoy because some of these slot guys like honestly, Jamison Crowder, like, give me a break. Um, I I, like they get to be such a snooze after a while when they're running like over 35% of their routes or slants or whatever. And Renfo fits, fits into that group, but uh, he faced zone coverage on on 61% of his charted routes. uh, And he had a pretty good success rate. Um, And when you look at his route chart, whenever that, when it comes out, uh, you'll see, he just like slant screen curl flat. Those are his most successful routes. Those really short uh, interior routes, but you can pile up a lot of production if you get targets on those patterns, especially from a quarterback like Derek Carr, who I think is very willing to throw those layup options. So I liked Renfro. Like I, I really think he was uh, was, a, was a steal in last year's draft, and I think he's a player that, you know, again, he's not going to reach the heights that I think Terry McLaurin, Marquise Brown, Deontay Johnson, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf are, but he can fit into that next group of guys that I think carves out a really good career as a role player. Yeah, I like him as sleeper PPR. I think Ruggs is just going to be clear out more, and they're just going to rely on Ranford. He had really sneaky good per-play production last year. Good to hear that you back it up on the tape, too. All right, man, good stuff. Love talking football with you, Matt. A lot of this stuff, I I will say, I keep – every now and then, I'll trickle some of it out, you know, because – you're trying to hype a product here, uh, but uh, it's good to get it all off my chest because most of it's just sitting with me and like the two dogs and the girlfriend have to listen to it. And I don't think any three of them give a what I have to say about Deontay Johnson. So I appreciate you, you letting me do this today. And if people are curious about Reception Perception, the best way to do to check it out, um, you can actually go to receptionperception.com where you can purchase access to it or just you want to learn a little more, just go to Twitter, use the hashtag Reception Perception. Uh, and you can see all the charts and metrics and stuff like that uh, all along the way. So good news for all of you people who don't like me out there. Liz is going to be back on Thursday. I will not be back on Thursday. So again, just great news for all of you people that don't like me. In the meantime, while you're thinking about how much you like Liz more than me, you can subscribe to Boxed In anywhere you get your podcast. New episodes are every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And while you're doing that, you can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB, and that's at Dalton Del Don. We're out of here. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. We want to cover the issues in the macro, global economics, the stock market, and our political climate. We'll also cover the micro stories, maybe the ones you don't hear as much about in the news or the media. We hope you'll listen and be a part of the journey. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.